0: Uh, And he's also disappointed that I did not show up today in the cheerleading outfit as he, you know, gave you such a great image of that last week. Um, Sorry to disappoint you, Pastor and Sharon, but not going to do that. I know that I'm the intern, but it's not going to happen. Before I get started, yes. (laughs) Before I get started. Many of you know that uh, Olivia's uh, dad recently came from home from the hospital and everything that uh, has happened there. Uh, and this morning her mother gave me a card that she wanted to read to everyone because she couldn't be here herself. So this is from um, Arlen and Sue, and uh, they just wanted to thank Pastor and Sharon and this church family. And it said, she said, uh, thanks so much everyone for your prayers and support during um, Arlen's operation In this recovery period still, wow, God is so faithful and totally amazing to even listen to the requests of his good and faithful servants. We have seen the goodness of our God once again. How great is our God. May God bless you. Love Arlen and Sue Strong. So thank you, Amazing Grace Church. Well, I had a whole big, long intro, but it's not going to happen today. Um, The one thing I will tell you is that uh, for the last, or the month of July was absolutely crazy for me. Um, I was gone for over three and a half weeks from my home, uh, two and a half weeks away from my wife, which is really difficult. You know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. You know, you have a little bit more sweet talkings at night when you're talking on the phone and saying how much you want to get home and all that good stuff. So... Two or two and a half weeks away from her, but one of those weeks we went to um, Charleston, South Carolina, and we celebrated our two-year anniversary there. And uh, everything is deep fried in the South. Everything. I don't think I. I think even the napkins were deep fried. I mean, it was wasn't it? I mean, but they and they had just a little nugget before I get started here. They had the best ice cream that I've ever had in my entire life. And is was at this place called uh, Jenny's, and they actually sell it at Myers. This comes in little pints, and it, it was like 10 o'clock at night when we went here, and it was so good. The whole time I'm eating it, I'm just looking at the counter. I'm like, I'm gonna go get more. This is so good. Olivia didn't let me get back in line, but it was so, so good. And so if you guys uh, are looking for some really good ice cream, it's expensive. It's about $8 a pint, but it is so worth it. All right. How many of you guys know the Word is powerful? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, a lot of uh, my intro today had to do with what was going on here this morning. I mean, God lines everything up. I think a lot of the teaching... uh, you, if you would have listened to what was said, you would have heard a lot of it. And the thing that we need to realize about what happened this morning is that the church has been doing church the church's way for far too long. There are so many churches that you go to, and the word is preached there, and it's good. They're loving people. They love on people. But there's no power. There's no power in, in, in these churches. And it's not—I don't want to say that there is— absolutely no power at all because we do know the word is powerful and when the word is preached, it changes lives. You know, for two and a half weeks, I had 160 students up in the mountains of Tennessee. And many of those students are far, far, far away from God. We had students that came from situations and atmospheres that are, are un, unspeakable and unbearable. We had students that had dealt with um, things such, such as rape, suicide, deep depression, Cutting all of these things. And the first few days at camp are, are, are fun. You know, you get to know the kids, they come and they hear some messages, but then the stories get, get pulled out as we go deeper and deeper in the Word of God. And the stories get pulled out and the hurts get pulled out. And all of a sudden we understand the atmosphere that some of these students live in, the culture that they come from their, their, in their home lives and what they're dealing with at school, with their friends and all the pressures and all of these things. But as we preach to these kids, you see the Word of God just permeate the atmosphere. And all of a sudden, instead of the world pumping their heads full of this negative, uh, these negative things that, that are really going to produce nothing good in their lives, they meet the Word of God. And some of them, for the, for the very first time, they hear the gospel. See, the Word is powerful because it, it meets us in, in these it meets people in their deprived state. We heard this morning, I can't remember who it was, somebody said, We're supposed to speak life into dead things. And that's exactly what happens at camp. At camp this, this year, we saw the, 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 the girl who struggled with, with the, the memory of, of rape. We saw the healing process begin. We saw her image of a a heavenly father begin to shape. And we saw uh, forgiveness pour out of her. and, And the hurt pour out of her. And healing begin to happen. You know, over the course of those two weeks, with those 160 kids, we had over 70 students come to know Jesus for the first time. 70 students. Just because the word of God was preached... The word is powerful. Jesus told us that the word, the spoken word of God, is the most powerful weapon that we have. That the most powerful tool in our arsenal that God gave us is right here. The spoken word of God heals hearts, it heals minds, it heals bodies. It delivers nations and it tears down strongholds. It drives out voices of intimidation and discouragement. When we speak the word of God, we come. We become a devastating weapon against the enemy. Words are spiritual, and words have power. You see, when God said, "Let there be light," light was. Literal translation says that God commanded, and there was. The phrase, and God said, appears nine times in the first chapter of Genesis. And every time God spoke, it created. And every time God speaks, he creates. You want to go through an amazing adventure with God? Search out every time the Bible says, and God said, or thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came. And you will see powerful things. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, and it shall not r- return to me empty. But it will accomplish that which I sent it forth for, and it will not return to me void. Genesis 1, 26 said, said, and, and God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all things. You see, in, in Genesis, what God is telling us is that he has given us authority over all things. Authority and dominion over all things. Genesis 2-7 says that in the, in the Lord God formed man and he breathed the breath of life into man. He, he breathed the, the breath and the wind and the spirit and the life of God. He breathed it into you. He made you in his likeness. He made us to be miniature replications of who he is. We heard it spoke this morning. God is a creator. He created us to create. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 17, or excuse me, Luke chapter 22, verse 15, Luke chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And they're asking him about the end of the age. And they're asking, and and Jesus had just got done telling them that, that the great temple in Jerusalem before the rise is about to be destroyed. And they said, when will these things be? And Jesus starts talking about great persecution. And when intense persecution would come upon them, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two fifteen, he says this, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom to speak, and none of your adversaries will be able to withstand the word that you give. In times of great persecution and in times of, of your, your greatest need, the most powerful weapon you have is to speak the word of God. See, words are powerful. Words create atmosphere. In 1990, there was a Japanese scientist, Masuro Emoto. He did some fascinating studies on the effects of the power of words. And he took two jars, and he filled each jar with rice, and then he filled it to the top with water. And on one jar, he labeled it. And that label said, You fool. And on the other jar, he labeled it, Thank you. And he took it into a classroom and he told the kids to call the jars the corresponding label. Say to the one, curse it and say to the one, You fool. But have gratitude toward the other one and say, Thank you. And after 30 days, he came back and he discovered that the jar that was cursed for 30 days, over and over and over, the rice had turned into a clump of black gelatin. Just this, this clump of black, gooey, oozy stuff. But the jar that was labeled thank you and was spoken nicely to and had gratitude spoken over it, the rice was just as fluffy and white as the day that it was placed in the jar. And then they asked him, why did you use water in your experiments? Why are you testing, your, why are you testing words against, uh, against water? And he, this is what he said. He said, our human bodies are made up of 70 to 80% water. And he said, it takes approximately four seconds for the spoken word to hit our skin, penetrate down to our cells, and affect our body. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge of it shall eat of the fruit of it. Death, life, and death are in the power of the tongue. And Luke seventeen twenty one, Jesus said, "Behold, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst." The word midst is the word enos, which means it's inside of you; it is within you. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, he said, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no use. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I've taught this here several times. And when God brought this to me again, I said, God, why do you want me to keep preaching on this? Why do you want me to keep hitting this home? And this is what God said to me He said, He said, Jeff, the enemy has created an atmosphere of intimidation and discouragement. He said, This has caused the posture of my church to be timid, to not be confident in themselves, to not be confident in the Word of God. He said, My church will be most effective when it is confident. He says, where there is no confidence, there is no boldness. And I'm calling my church to be a bold voice. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus in the, is with the disciples and he says, Who do people say that I am? And they give all kinds of answers. They say, well, some say that you are the prophet Elijah. Some say that you are a good teacher. But Jesus says, no, who do you say that I am? And This is what Simon Peter says. In, cha- in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, it says, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Pe- you, I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And God showed me, He said, almost immediately, every time that somebody reads this verse, this is what they think. They think that this verse says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, as in the church needs to be in a defensive posture. But he said, what are gates? Gates are built to keep things out. They are not an offensive force. You see... The enemy wants us to believe that we should be on the defensive. But the reality is, is that the enemy is deathly afraid of the church. He is deathly afraid that we will wake up and realize that we have all power over the enemy. He is deathly afraid that we will wake up and realize that we can overpower the gates of hell at any moment. And God said that the posture of the church needs to change and we need to stand as if we are in victory. We are not not a defensive church. We are an offensive church. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I did not come to make peace with the devil. I did not come to make peace with sin. I came to bring a sword. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. You know, Olivia and I just, we just went through one of the greatest battles of our lives. I drove 14 hours home from the camp in Tennessee after after two weeks of just speaking life over kids. Drove 14 hours home. It was, I don't know, 1 o'clock. I get a phone call. And all day I've been driving home and I knew that something was wrong. Arlen was having surgery that day. It was supposed to be a five-hour surgery. He ended up being in surgery all day, 13 hours. And Olivia calls me on, on the phone and her voice is shaking. I can hear people in the background and it's not good. And she said, the doctor said that we need a miracle. Dad might not make it. And normally, I would probably have a little bit of fear in my heart. But for some reason, the Lord God spoke to me immediately. And he said, Jeff there is no fear. He said, there is no fear in perfect love. And he said, Arlen will not die. He will live. And I never had a doubt, not for one second. I know people were upset. I know people were affected by the news at the moment, but I just said, Olivia, your dad is going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And I, I give her all the credit in the world as she gathered herself, she got it together that that she embraced her mom and they got together in truth and they began to speak life over her father. And Olivia, Olivia said to her mom, she said, mom, we serve a good God. We serve a good God and he will heal dad. Dad is not gonna die. And then Sue started speaking life over Arlen. They started speaking life into his body. And when I got to the hospital, anything that the doctor would tell us that was positive, we just repeated it over and over and over and over and over, and we spoke it over his body. We said, great, the heart's working at, at 15%. Praise God. It's doing 15% of the work, and it's getting stronger. It's doing 30% of the work, and it's getting stronger. It's doing 40% of the work. It's doing 50 It's doing 80%. His lungs are taking on what it needs to take on. And everything is happening. We're speaking life and life and life and life. And he is home today. Amen. The word has power. and has the power of life and death. And what did the devil contend with Eve in the garden? He contended the word. God spoke to them said, I, I give you all dominion, all authority, everything that you need. And then what happened? He exalted his word over God's word. And all of a sudden, Eve found herself speaking his words and not God's word. We were afraid of you because we are naked and ashamed. And Luke chapter 4, when the devil came to tempt Jesus, what did he contend? He contended the word of God. And in Luke chapter 4, the devil said, If you will just open your mouth and worship me, Jesus. After Jesus had fasted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water, nothing, his flesh was hungry. And what did the enemy do? Contended the word of God. And Jesus said, It is written, it is written, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and no other You see, I like what what Jensen Franklin said about this verse. He said, isn't it funny that the enemy said, said to Jesus, in a moment, he says that he showed Jesus all the kingdoms and all of his power in a moment of time. Yet it takes all of eternity for God to show us his kingdom and his glory and his goodness and his power But yet the enemy can show his in a moment of time all the power and glory he has. And in Luke chapter 4, a little later, when Jesus comes and he proclaims what God had sent him forth to do, and he reads out of the book of, of Isaiah, what did Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because what? He has anointed me. He has given me the power to what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. You see, when the devil came to tempt Job, what did he say to God? He said, touch all that Job has. And Job will open up his mouth and he will curse you, God. This is, what the, this is all the enemy wants. He wants control of your words. He wants nothing more than in your situation that seems dire and dear and you feel like God is not moving, that the word is not working. All he wants you to do is open your mouth and curse God. And the reason is this. The enemy does not have a voice in this world. He has no creative ability on his own. And the only thing that he can use is you. He can't take anything that you won't surrender. But he'll take everything that you do. Ephesians 2.2 2 says the devil is the prince of the power of the air scripture tells us that Satan's power of deception, both now and in the end times, comes from his mouth. I want you to write three scriptures down. We won't go there right now. And they all come from Revelation chapter 13. It's verse 2, verse 5 and 6, and verse 14 and 15. And it's describing the power of the enemy in the end times. And what does it say in in verse 13? excuse me, these are the things that it says to describe. It says that smoke and sulfur and fire will be coming out from out of where? The mouth of the enemy. And that his mouth will be like a lion's mouth to devour. But here's the most interesting part. It says that in order to exercise authority, the beast was given a mouth uttering blasphemous words against God. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. And that is those who dwell in heaven. In the end times, the most powerful thing the enemy will have is a voice that blasphemes the word of God. And we look at that and we see all a bunch of religious rules. And here's what I think that voice is. I think that voice is is the natural voices of the world that create logic for all things that that would disprove God. That would overthrow his institutions. The institution of marriage, for example. There There are all kinds of agendas and things being spoken out there that would seek to overthrow this institution, to, to take the institution of marriage between a man and a woman and, and throw it in the mud and say, this is not the right way. This is not all there is. This is our word is greater than God's word. It is better than God's word. And as you, as you read on in those verses in Revelation, it will say that, that the enemy will go even so far as to say that I fought with God, that I was pierced by the sword, and yet I lived. I contended with God, and yet I lived. And then he tells people to make an image to himself and worship it. The enemy seeks only to exalt his throne over God. Isaiah 14 tells us so. You see, I believe that the enemy is creating an atmosphere of discouragement, worry, condemnation, confusion, fear, humiliation, shame, guilt. All you have to do is turn on the television, scroll through social media, and you'll see it. There was a study done and it it, They tracked the lives of, I can't remember how many people, but I think it was over 100 people. And they they somehow took data on all the words that they spoke. And they came back, and the study said that one out of every seven words is a positive word, an encouraging word, an edifying word. That means six out of every seven words that is spoken is negative. And science tells us that if I were to tell you a true statement one time, just once, and then I were to bring forth a false statement four or more times, in your mind, you will, just, you will automatically believe that the false statement is more valid than the one that is true. The one, what you hear most is what you believe is actually true. That's why the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to get it in here. We need to get it in our hearts. This is why we have, we have young people that glorify rappers and rock bands and, and, and drug dealers and, and alcohol and parties and all these things because they see it on TV, they see it in Hollywood, they see it all the time and they think that it's cool. They think it's good. They think it's gonna take them somewhere. And many people believe, even you and I, that our lives will be fulfilled by our career, by relationship, by money, by cars, houses, friends, traveling, all of those things. We think that our spiritual lives will be fulfilled, but it's not true. Just because we see it on TV and it looks glamorous and we see people post things on on social media, on Instagram, oh, they're here, oh my, I wish I could be in Greece with this person or I wish I could be doing this or that. And we envy all of these things because we think it's going to fulfill us, but we know that it's not. The the enemy has created and cultivated an atmosphere of intimidation and discouragement, especially in the area of spoken word. Especially. And and here, I'll prove it. If I were to call any one of you guys up here to the stage right now, and I said, I believe that God has given you a powerful word in your heart. I believe that he has called you to come up here and speak something. Immediately in, in your minds, there's going to be an alarm that goes off. And it's going to say, oh no. Oh crap. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And your mind's going to be racing to the last scripture that you read. And it's going to be racing to, to the last devotional that you did with God or the last time that he spoke to you so that way when you get up here you'll say something that makes even a lick of sense. I believe that that the enemy is always seeking to discourage and silence us because he knows that if we just speak the word of God, he has no power. And he knows that it's so easy. It's so easy to be all fired up about issues that are weak. Sports. Man, I get all fired up for sports. Michigan State football, watch out, man. Don't be at my house. I'm probably throwing the remote at the TV because they suck last year. But sports, man, I, get, I jump up and down. I get all fired up. Cars, man. Some of us see like a hot rod going by and we're like, oh, yeah. We're like Tim the Toolman Taylor, you know. Fashion, music, food. It's easy to fall And to gossip and slander. Why? Because everybody's doing it and it's easy. Can you believe what they said? What a loser. They'll never change. They're worthless. They're stupid. (laughs) And we justify it. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, you are just saying. You just said it. See, it's difficult to be strong about important issues like faith, healing, miracles, forgiveness, repentance. It's intimidating and it's uncomfortable, especially outside of these four walls. It's easy in here. It's easy in here. But here's the thing that we need to realize we are built to be uncomfortable. God did not come to bring the gospel of, of being comfortable. The gospel of comfort is, it, it's not what God wanted. He wanted to bring the gospel of healing. And that's painful. It's painful at times to, to, to encounter the gospel of healing. Why? Because the word of God says that it gets in there with a scalpel and it just cuts away. And it cuts away at the things that shouldn't be in there, the diseases in your heart. You know, Arlen went through a 13-hour surgery, and they were, the whole time, what were they doing? They were cutting out the things that were destroying him. God made us to be uncomfortable. And the reason is, is, is that if we're never uncomfortable if we never allow God to push us out of our comfort zone, we will never rely on the comforter. We will never rely on the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that I tell you the truth. It is to your benefit. It is to your advantage that I go away because when I do, I will send the Holy Spirit. And when I send the Holy Spirit, you will know because he will glorify me. And he will take all the authority in heaven that God has given to me and he will give it to you. This is why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. Do all of these things because you will have the power. All the, all the authority that God gave to Jesus, he gave to you and me through the power of his blood his, and his resurrection. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When something is devoured, it, all of its breath, all of its life, and its voice is completely consumed. Some of us are facing extremely difficult circumstances right now. Maybe you're here and fear is controlling your life. Maybe fear is, it has got you backed into a corner and you have no idea what to do. Maybe you're here and you feel like you have failed God or you are failing God in an area of your life. And the greatest thing that the enemy can do is make you feel like you can't go to God for the healing. To make you feel like you've done something that excludes you from the promises of God. I believe that, that the devil really wants to do three things with you. He wants to identify you. He wants to isolate you. And he wants to exclude you. He wants to identify you He wants to identify you with your circumstance or situation. In other words, he wants you to focus totally on the circumstance that you're dealing with. He wants you to identify with the sins that you're failing in, so that every time you think about coming to God, you don't. He wants to isolate you from people that can help you. He wants to isolate you from the church to make you feel like you shouldn't go there. He wants to isolate you from God so that you don't go to him for the healing And he wants to exclude you from the promises of God. And even the the church does this to its own people. Someone will get filled in the Holy Ghost and then some other church will say, well, that's not real. That didn't happen. That's that's locked up. That only happened in, in one time, in one place. Or someone will, will, will talk about a great healing that they saw and some other Christian will say, well, that's weird. Well, God's supernatural. He's weird. He's not like us. He's weird. He does awesome, crazy things. See, the first time that I, I screwed up as a Christian, I was so on fire for God for for like this short time, and all of a sudden I fell back into sin. I fell back into this temptation. And I remember, I I just felt almost like Samson when he broke his last vow and he, and he, he cut his hair. He gave his secret out and they cut his hair, and he felt as if all the power that God had given him was completely stripped from his life. That's how I felt. I felt powerless. I felt weak. I felt as if God had left me and God says, your call is over. What I've called you to is done. You can never be a pastor now. And I felt so far away from God, all I could do was weep. But I picked up my guitar And I remember I just started singing this song. I just started singing, Abba, I belong to you. I belong to you. I chose not to identify with my circumstance and situation. I chose not to allow the enemy to isolate me from God to make me feel like I can't go to him for the healing and go to him for forgiveness and go to him and say, God, I have screwed up. Here's my heart. I'm laying it on the altar. And I chose not to allow that situation to exclude me from the plans and the purposes that God had on my life. See, many of us are facing similar situations like this. We have deep hurts. And God would say to you, don't drown out the voice of God by offering your voice to the enemy." Do not open your mouth and curse God. Do not open your mouth and work against him. Because no matter what, through every situation and circumstance, the word of God is penetrating. It is penetrating, it is penetrating, and it is working all at all times. When I was preparing for this message, God showed me Rocky II, the movie. How many of you have ever seen Rocky II, the movie? And so, in Rocky, Rocky one, Rocky's this nothing, nobody fighter, right? Nothing, nobody from nowhere, and this champion of the world picks him to fight him and says, "Oh, this is going to be an easy fight," but he doesn't know Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, and he just he trains and he trains and he gets up there and he takes. He takes the boxer to the distance. He lasts through all the whole fight, and that's all he wanted to do. He said, I just want to go the distance with him. I just want to get to the end of the fight. I want to fight him all the way to the end. But in Rocky II, Rocky decides, I don't, I just don't want to just fight the enemy. I don't want to just play defense the whole time. I want to beat him because I know I can beat him. Well, Mickey says, well, we got to do something different this time. We got to train a little bit differently. And so, what does he do? He teaches Rocky to box right handed. And all of his, he trains and he trains and he trains for months and he boxed right handed until every instinct that he has is right handed, right handed, right handed. And when the bell rings and he gets out there with the champ, the champ is totally stunned because this guy that has boxed left-handed and he trained to to fight a left-handed boxer, he was totally surprised and taken that Rocky was fighting right-handed. And after after a while, Apollo Creed got used to fighting the right-handed fighter. And then in the middle of the fight, Rocky changes his stance again. He changes it back to right. And he, out, and he overtakes Apollo Creed and takes him out. And I said, God, why are you? Why are you showing me this story? He says, There are some people in my church that all they need to do is change their stance. All they need to do is just make a slight shift of how they're fighting and how they're taking on this enemy and what they're speaking and what they're praying. You see, when I prayed for my wife. I prayed for five years that God would bring me a beautiful wife, and he has. But three and a half years into that fight, to that prayer, I was, I was down on my knees. And I was saying, God, where is where's my bride? Where is she? I, I need her. I need, a, I need a relationship. I need this. And you know what God said to me? He said, you're not ready. You're not ready for this fight. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, all your prayers are selfish. They're selfish, Jeff. All your prayers are about you and how you feel and what you want. And he said, what about her? What do you want her to be like? I said, God, I never thought about that. So I started praying for what I wanted her to be like. I said, God, I want her to love you. I want her to know you. I want her to be strong and courageous. And I want her to just have no fear and just be following you without abandon. And God said, now you're getting it. He said, it's got to be about me. It's got to be about me and who I am and who she is with me. All God, God is saying to you and I, all we need to do in our situations that are just hurting us the most and, and, and the situations that, are, that seem like they're impossible, all we have to do is maybe change our stance, change the things that we are speaking, change the things that we are praying. You know, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain and it will be removed. But you got to speak to it. And you got to speak the words that will actually move it. You can't speak words and say, God, out of my strength, I will do this. And if you just move this mountain, I'll do this one thing. And I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I will do it. It's me. Speak my words. Speak my life. Don't speak your circumstance. Speak my words. Speak my life. And I believe That God has given me a prophetic vision for this church in this, in this certain place and time. And God showed me. I used to work in commercial kitchens, okay. And God showed me th- this huge commercial kitchen, and I and on it were the in it were these ovens, and on top of the ovens you have these really deep burners, these really deep heavy. Burners and they're about three burners deep, and most of the time they're about 10 or 10 down and three deep. So you have about 30 burners to work with. And then on the other side uh, of these burners was a grill, and it was huge, it was massive. I used to work at this restaurant that would seat over 600 people, and we would fill it up three times a night. We'd serve over 1,800 people, and there was me and two other guys. Doing all the meals. And this is what the kitchen looked like. And, the, and it was, excuse my language, it, it, it was, it was heck. All right, I'll just say that because pastor will yell at me if I say the other one. It was a pit, man. It was hot with all those burners. And the tickets would come pouring in. I need eight of this. I need seven of this. I need ten of this. I need this. I need that. And this doesn't have any onions and no mushrooms in this. And blah. blah, blah, blah. And you got to remember all this stuff because the, the tickets got to go out in ten minutes. And he showed me a, a picture of, of three guys working the line, and they're the, the tickets are rolling in, and and the guy in the middle is stringing all these tickets up, and he's calling it all out, and the cook on the one side is taking all the ingredients and he's throwing it in the saute pans and he's getting it all together and the, the chef on the other side has all the meat up on the grill and he's seasoning it and he's doing all this stuff but no food is coming out. Nothing's getting finished. And the guy in the middle who's in charge of getting all the food out starts looking around and trying to figure out what's wrong and he looks and neither in the in the burners or in the grill there was no fire and he and God is telling me Jeff there is a world around you that is hungry there is a world around this church outside of these four walls that is hungry they are starving He said, if there's no fire, you can't create anything that won't serve anybody. And last night, God showed me in the first Kings chapter 18, when Elijah comes up against 850 false prophets who are bringing a voice of intimidation against the church. Jezebel came into Israel And she set her face against the prophets, and she began to kill them and to drive them out of the land. And what did they do? It said that King Ahab did more wickedness in the sight of the Lord than all other kings before him. And he set up uh, temples in the high places on Mount Caramel. He set up temples up there to worship Baal and to worship the Asherah Rod. And Jezebel comes in and she intimidates the prophets of God and she drives them out and she kills them to the point where Obadiah is forced to take a hundred prophets and hide them away in a cave. The voice of intimidation came in and it isolated the church. And the church was identifying with its situation. What did Elijah do? God said, Elijah, come forth. And Elijah, in the face of King Ahab, who had all the power to kill him, said, you have cursed the land, and it will not reign here for three years. You see, the significance of that is this. Baal, the god, was known as the fertility god. He was the God of the rain and the dew. And God spoke to Elijah and he said, there will be no rain or dew in the land for three years. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I am the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything. I am the God of the rain and the dew. I don't care what popular opinion is because all of the regions around Jerusalem were worshiping Baal. That was the popular thing to do. It was the popular voice. And Elijah said, this is what we will do. He said, we will build altars to both of our gods and we will put a sacrifice on the altar. We will put a bull on both altars. And I will, put, I will neither put fire on my altar and you will not put fire on your altar. But here's what we will do. We will call to our God. And whichever one of our God sends fire from heaven and consumes the offering that is given, that is the God. That is the one real true God. And so the the false prophets begin crying out to God. They build these altars and they begin crying out to God. And what did they hear? Crickets, crickets, crickets. And it's so funny, if you read the scriptures, Elijah starts mocking them and says, where is your God? And the scripture even says that Elijah said, is he relieving himself? Where is he? And then Elijah, after all, all day they cried out to him, and they cut themselves, and they did all kinds of rituals. Elijah begins to call out to his God. He speaks to the people. And he says, everybody come close to me and listen to what I will say. And he calls out to the God. Oh God he says, God, send down this fire now so that your people will turn their hearts back to you. Send down this fire and show all of the world who you are. And boom, fire from heaven came and lit the altar. The Bible says that at that time, 850 prophets, the false prophets of the Lord, were killed and slaughtered. Their voice was silenced. Here's what God is really saying to you and I. It's time for the fire to fall. It's time for the fire to fall. It's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to to begin speaking our voices, speaking life, speaking the word, because it's time for the fire to come. God wants a revival on M46, but he doesn't want it just for us. He doesn't want it just for Amazing Grace Church. He wants it for the, the whole body of Christ. He wants it for the whole church. You know, there's a man named Gypsy Smith. He was a great evangelist. He went about everywhere doing miracles and all kinds of things. And people asked him, what do we need to do to, to have a revival? What do we need to, need to do to revive our hearts? To And he, this is what he said. He said, if you want a revival, draw a circle around yourself. Just get on the ground. Draw a circle around yourself. And ask God and pray that He would revive everything inside of that circle. That everything in that circle would see a revival. And if you do that and and I do that, and we do it here and we do it together, we will have revival. A revival will come when this church revives itself. When it doesn't come here and says, I want to see church as usual. I want to hear three points in a poem. And I want to go home, because the reality is, is, Jesus did not save you to keep for you to keep that salvation to yourself. There is a dangerous, selfish gospel that is being preached, and it's the gospel of comfort. But God wants to bring the comf- the, the gospel of healing, and we got to heal ourselves first. We got to heal our lives first. We got to heal our heart's first but we got to be ready able and willing to take the word of god wherever we go i want to be a 24/7 7 days a week 365 day a year christian i don't want to take time off i don't want to give god just 2 hours on sunday i want him to have everything i want to walk into the supermarket and have the fire of god in my mouth i want to i want to go everywhere at all times and know that the God of the universe is with me. I think the thing that discourages us the most is the feeling of doubt or just feelings at all. I don't feel like God is moving when I, when I speak. You might, you might preach to somebody and they might say, no thanks. Can I pray for you? No. Or you might pray for them and maybe a miracle didn't happen. But here's the real truth. The power and authority that Jesus had as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane with blood dripping off of his face. And he's praying to God and he's saying, God, please, if there is any other way that mankind can be saved, let it be done that way. If there's any other way, if I don't have to take the cross, but God says it is my will and it must be done. Do you think in that moment that Jesus felt like he was in victory? Do you think that as they were dragging him through the streets and they were whipping him and spitting on him and mocking him and nailing him to the cross, do you think his flesh felt like he was in victory? But he was. He was in victory, he just didn't feel like it. This is why Jesus said, you must crucify your flesh. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, and I just want to I just want to say that Put your words in our mouth. Put your words in our heart. Put a fire deep down in our soul. Put a fire in us. Make it flow through us. Turn us back to you. there's anyone in this room right now that you would say